Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Legion of Michael podcast. I am your host, Paul Markle. We're going to talk all about faith and defending the faith and being defenders of the faith. And how do we do that? You say, well, it's easy, Paul. I, I own a gun. Nope, that's not it. That's not what it's all about. It's about more than that. It's about more than tools. It's about tactics and mindset. And part of that mindset is a foundation. Now, I would say if you're an average person in the United States of America that you are inundated, you are, you are battered from all sides by the media, by Hollywood, maybe by relatives, by neighbors, by people at your kid's school, or maybe at your work people that are hitting you from all sides and they're giving you different types of information. We have to have, maybe it's politicians, maybe it's your mayor, maybe it's your governor, and they are commanding you to do this and you're, they're commanding you to do that. And this has created a lot of confusion in your mind or frustration. And you say, on one hand, I believe that this is what I should be doing, but then on the other hand, these people who are supposedly my rulers... My civil authorities are telling me to do this. They're telling me to do that, but it conflicts with my faith. What should I do? Well, the, the very first step is you need to understand, you need to realize that we do, as Christians, that we have a foundation. It's there for us, and it's a foundation that, that's really, it's not all that difficult we just need to remind ourselves once in a while what our foundation is. And we need to hold true. We need to hold fast to that foundation. We need to hold fast to that foundation. And I, I've got a, uh, well, you guys, if you went to Sunday school, you probably learned all about the parable or the story of the house upon the sand and the house upon the rock. But this isn't just for Sunday school, and it's not just for little kids. This is for all of us. And this is from Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, 
and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Talking about the foundation. Talking about the foundation of the word of Christ. That is what we build our faith upon. God's word is our rock. It is our foundation upon which all else must be built. How many of us have lost sight of the foundation, the basis of our faith? You say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I'm strong. I understand that. You might feel strong. But sometimes you feel frustrated. Sometimes you feel angry. Sometimes you think, man... I, I don't know what to do. On one hand, I, this is what I believe. But on the other hand, maybe my spouse is telling me to do something else. Maybe my friends, maybe my relatives are trying to lead me in a different direction. And, and if I don't listen to them, well, then that, make, that hurts their feelings. Got an advice from the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. It says, Do not tremble. This is God speaking to Isaiah, his prophet. He said, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witness. Is there any other God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And isn't that interesting that uh, in the book of Isaiah, way before Christ was born, God is speaking to Isaiah, and he refers to himself as the rock. And then, of course, Christ says we should build our foundation upon the rock. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we need to get back to basics. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics, go back to our foundation. Let us consider the basics, the foundation, the principles upon which we will build our house, upon which we will build our faith. Go back to the very beginning and lay the foundation upon which we will build the Legion of Michael. Now, as you should know, I would hope that as as a person of faith, that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 22, This little thing called the Ten Commandments. You're like, you may have heard of those. Yes, these are the rules that liberals and leftists and agnostics and uh, atheists are trying to have erased from our state houses, from our capitals, from our schools. We can't learn about that because, because the commandments, they lay the foundation. They give us rules. They establish this thing called right and wrong. How many times have you heard people say, well, you know, you're, what you think is right is, and what I think is right, those aren't the same things. And what you think is wrong and what I, don't, what I think is wrong, well, that's, that's not the same. There's, there's no real right or wrong. It's just how you feel. It's just how you feel. And that is exactly how Satan creeps in. Satan creeps in and he convinces us to, that there is no right, there is no wrong. It's just... It's just how you feel today. It's just how you feel today. 
Recently, I read a story. I read a story from a, a professor, and he was talking about how Trump supporters not only are they delusional and they need to be deprogrammed from their from their hatred, but he also opined that that Trump supporters, these people who believe that the election was stolen, that there was chicanery and lying that went on and cheating and fraud, these people, he said, and this is from the, a professor, and he says, these are the type of, the, of people who view the world from the prism of right and wrong, of good and bad. Now, this professor wasn't saying that to compliment them. He was using that term as a pejorative. He was saying, oh, these, these crazy Trump-supporting people, they, they all view the world through this prism of right and wrong and good and evil. Yeah, because exact, that's exactly how we were commanded. That's exactly what we were given. That's the rules that we were given. We were given the rules of good and evil and right and wrong. We were shown the foundation. Now, what I've got in my hands today, I've got something that's actually very, very precious to me. Uh, this is a hardback. It's a blue cut. Co- it's got a blue hardback cover, and it's Martin Luther's Small Catechism. Now, this particular one that I'm holding in my hand is a a copy uh, of the one. It's when I went through catechism class when I went through confirmation training for the Lutheran Church when I was 13, 14 years old. I had one of these books. Now, uh, I don't think I need to tell you that that I'm a little bit long in the tooth, and it's been it's been many decades, several decades, almost. Well, this year it will be 40 years since I was confirmed as a member of the Lutheran Church. I completed my catechism training, and I went up and I got my first communion. So the original copy of my catechism is long gone. I don't know where it went, but I replaced it several years ago with an identical one. So the Ten Commandments, for those of you who may not remember, go a little bit something like this. This is from page five of Luther's Catechism. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Pretty simple, right? And, and, uh, Luther breaks it down. The great thing about the catechism is it not only reminds you about the, the, uh, the rules and the foundation, but it helps explain it. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in our God above all other things. God comes first, not second or third or fourth, but first. And our God is the trump card. I know you're like, oh, you said it. You said Trump. You said that. No, our God is the trump card. What is a trump card? A trump card, for those of you that don't play cards, (laughs) uh, maybe there are some people in my audience that are like, "I I don't play cards. I don't know what you're talking about. The trump card is the card that supersedes all others. And our God is the God that supersedes. Our God supersedes all others. Our God supersedes our mayor, our governor, and even a president. That's right. Even the president, the governor, and your local mayor, and even your local health commissioner, who apparently uh, in our country, our local county health commissioners have anointed themselves as gods among men. 
but our God trumps all of them. Commandment two, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we may not curse, swear, or use witchcraft, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. When I was young uh, and I was going through catechism, I remember the, the pastor explaining this one. He says, we should not curse, swear, or use witchcraft, lie, or deceive. He said, when people say, I swear to God, they're violating the second commandment. The truth is a truth, and the lie is in a lie is a lie. If you are speaking the truth, then you need not to swear to God. We don't say JC. We don't stub. If you stub your toe and you yell JC, or if you get angry and you yell GD, <laughs> I'm sound like my mom or grandma talking because my mom or grandma would never say JC out loud as a swear, and they would never say GD. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt sanctify the holy day. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching and his word, that we may hold it sacred and gladly hear it. And in the book of Exodus, God reminds us that he on six took him six days to create the universe, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, we should rest, do no work. And you say, but our world has changed. Yeah, our world has changed. We have a 24-7 world now, right? We got 24-7 Walmarts and grocery stores and, and all that stuff. We've got we just go, 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 go. We're constantly on the move. Can't take time off. Can't take a break. The world doesn't stop on Sundays. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that, well, that God knows us. He knows us pretty well. He knows us as men, and he understands that men need a break, that men, like God, need to rest. And I believe God also knew and realized and understood that what was going to happen is there were going to be bosses, there were going to be taskmasters, there were going to be rulers that would command the people to work seven days a week. Or maybe you work for yourself. Maybe you're a farmer or a carpenter or whatever. You know, you're an electrician. You you work. You have to work for yourself. Now, we live a relatively comfortable life today here in, in the modern world. You don't have to get up every day with your spouse and your children and go out and, and weed the, the garden and water the crops and plow and plant and, and irrigate and so forth. Uh, if you don't do that, you'll die. Now, a couple hundred years ago, 500,000 years ago, if you didn't get up every day and go to work, your family would starve. If you didn't tend to your crops, if you didn't do your job, if you didn't tend the animals and so forth, you could be in, in big trouble. We don't obviously have that today. Today, most, very few humans on planet Earth, or very few in the United States of America, have to get up on Sunday morning and go out and tend to the fields, and if they don't, their family is likely to starve, right? But God understood that, man, that men need rest. 
He understood that. This commandment, the third commandment, remember, it not only reminds us to take time out on our on the Sabbath day and to worship and study, to worship our Lord and to study, and to commune with each other. You see, if you're spending all of your time working, if you're out in the fields, if you're focusing hard on your job and so on and so forth, you're, not, you're probably not spending much time communing with your neighbors. You're not spending much time establishing or strengthening a community. Why? Because you're so focused on the task at hand. The third commandment is a gift from God. People say, well, man, God's pretty arrogant. He's like, I command you to worship me on the, on the Sabbath day, and if you don't, I will smite thee. No, our God is a loving God, and our God understands us better than we know ourselves. God understands us better than we know, than we understand ourselves. And he knows that in order for us to function effectively as members of a family, as members of a community, as members of society, we cannot constantly be working. We need to take time to minister to each other, to commune with each other. That's what we do. That is that was when I was raised, when I was a young child, we I was raised in the Lutheran church. I had a wonderful church family. You know, when you when you look at in, in at the past, you you see it through 2020 vision. When you're young, you just want to go and do, and you're you're you know, a young person, a child, is they're focused on the moment, on that day. What you know, what am I gonna do today? I'm gonna go outside. As soon as we get home church, I'm gonna take off my church clothes, and it's a beautiful day. I'm gonna go outside and play. I'm gonna go ride my bike, I'm gonna go meet my friends, and we're gonna play baseball or whatever we're gonna do. But we had we had that church community. And I was blessed. I was blessed to be part of a church family, whether it was a church family that we had when we lived in, in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. We lived in St. Clair Shores and Roseville, you know, and when, later on when I lived in Detroit itself, when I lived in Detroit, we, we had a, a, a wonderful church, Mount Calvary Church, and we had a wonderful church family. And once a week, we would go and we would meet with that church family whether it was in Sunday school or, you know, dur- obviously during the service, you're not shucking and jiving and shaking hands and so forth. But that is when you come together as a community. I remember as a child getting to church early and having coffee time. Now, as a little kid, you don't drink coffee, but the, the women of the church set out orange juice and or Kool-Aid or whatever it was. I don't even remember at the time. Probably little tiny cups of orange juice, you know. And, and the men and the women, they they gathered together. They would put out donuts, you know. The the women's auxiliary would, would swing by a bakery either late Saturday night or early Sunday morning. They would swing by a bakery, and they would bring these great big white cardboard boxes filled with donuts. And they would brew the great big uh, pots of coffee, you know, the silver ones those great big silver percolators, percolators of coffee. And my mom and my dad and, and all of their peers, they would just meet with each other. And they would stand around and they would talk. They would drink a little coffee, you know, have a donut, do a little bit of socializing. Then we would go all go up and we would go to church. The kids would go to, the kids would go to Sunday school, you know. Adults would go to the main service. 
That's community. And you can't do that if you're consistently and constantly focused on work. You're like, no, I, I, I don't have time for that. I don't have time. Later, later, sometime later, sometime later, I'll do that. And what does that do to you as a person? What does that do to you as a society? What does it do to you as a society when you are kept away from your community? You're kept away from your peers. You're kept away. You're forbidden. You're not allowed by your masters at the city government or your masters at the county government, your masters in the state capitol. They refuse to allow you to commune with your fellow Christians. Does that strengthen the community or does that weaken the community? Does it make you better as a society or worse as a society? As I said, our God is a loving God, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. Continuing on with our foundation, the fourth commandment, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we may not despise our parents and our masters nor provoke them to anger, but give them honor, serve and obey them and hold them in love and esteem. Dysfunction. Dysfunction. How many times have you heard the term dysfunction or dysfunctional? Dysfunctional family. How, how are families dysfunctional? Ladies and gentlemen, in some of our communities, in some of our cities, in some of our, our uh, well, our cultures in the United States, we have less than a 50% two-parent household. We have less than all households are two-parent households. Children grow up not knowing their fathers. Children grow up not knowing their mothers. Most of the time, it's not knowing their fathers. And what does that do to our community? What does that do to our society? If you honor your father and your mother, I, we, you honor your father and your mother or you honor your grandparents, you have this thing called a functioning family, a strong, functioning, nuclear family. As I said, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And I remember growing up, and I remember becoming a teenager. When you are a teenager, nature dumps all these chemicals into your bloodstream and you're going through, your body starts going through changes. You change, you transform from a child to an adult. But there's that time in between, between the time that you are just a little child and the time that you start feeling like an adult. Your body changes, you begin to grow. Women go through their changes, men go through their changes. And during that time, you, st- you especially boys, young men, they well, and girls too, but uh, young men feel the need to rebel against their, their fathers, rebel against their, their parents because they want to be independent. They feel this strong desire. They feel this urge to break out. They're like young stallions. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A young stallion who's penned up in the barn and he's in a corral and he doesn't want to be in that corral and he bucks and he kicks and he does everything he can until he can break free. And that's what young teenage boys are. They're, they're like young stallions. They've got all this testosterone flowing through their bodies. And their bodies are changing. And they're starting to feel strong. And they're starting to feel smart. You know, how many of you thought that, you were the, that your parents were the dumbest people in the world and you were a genius when you were 15? <laughs> and then by the time you're 21, if you're an intelligent person, if you're an honest person, By the time you're 21, you look back at your 15-year-old self and you think, man, I did not know nearly what I thought I knew. My parents really weren't that dumb. Actually, were pretty smart. They were pretty wise. But I couldn't see it at the time. I couldn't see it at the time because I was blinded by my own desires. You go back to commandment four. That's why we need to remember you say, even though I'm blinded by my own desires, what does God told me? What has God told me? He said, honor your father and your mother. Even though you're 15, 16 years old, and you think you're the smartest person on planet Earth, you're not. And it's less of a blow to your ego if you can curb your enthusiasm just a little bit and remember to honor your father and your mother. The fifth commandment, now in, in Martin Luther's book here in the catechism they use the words thou shalt not kill but as we should know as we've studied about the original translation from hebrew because the uh well the old testament was written in hebrew you're like wow was it really yeah it was it wasn't written in english (laughs) it was written in hebrew and the original translation of the hebrew is thou shalt not commit murder all right. There is a difference between murder and killing. If you took the thou shalt not kill to the ultimate extreme, you're like, well, you're not allowed to kill flies or mice or germs or, you know, any killing anything is a sin. But that's not true because kill is a generic term. Murder is a very specific term. As a, somebody who is a police officer, I can tell you murder is the unlawful taking of a human life. Now, And it says, we should not, and uh, Martin Luther says, we should fear and love God that we may not hurt nor harm our neighbor in the body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. Now, during the Legion of Michael training program, and I'm not going to go through the whole program right now because obviously that would take a couple of hours and 
we don't have a couple of hours on this podcast. But during the Legion of Michael training class, we talk about the difference between kill and murder. And we talk about justifiable the justifiable taking of human life. Is there justifiable taking of human life? Can human life be taken by a Christian and it not be a sin? Now, some people would tell you, no, absolutely not. There's you, if you take a human life, you are a sinner, and God will condemn you. Hmm. Is that really true, though? Really true. Now, if we look at the specific details here, it says that uh, there are justifications, Christian justifications, the defense of innocent life. The defense of innocent life. The defense of the nation. So you could say, you're like, well, then if if thou shalt not kill is an absolute, then George Washington and all of those who fought in the American Revolution, if they picked up a musket or, or fired a cannon in the direction of the enemy and the enemy died, then they were all sinners and they're condemned to hell. And you say, well, Washington obviously was not a Christian. He wasn't faithful. He ordered men to pick up muskets and bayonets and cannons and to attack the enemy. No. No, there actually is dispensation. And if you want to know more about that, well, then go to the uh, legionofmichael.com and we, we're going to go ahead and break it down for you. Let's move on to the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We should fear and love God that we may lead a chaste and decent life in word and deed and love each other and each love each other and their spouse. Love and honor your spouse. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this one right here is probably one of the biggest ones that that, that liberals and leftists and agnostics and, and so forth they think, well, yeah, it says that, but I want to. I want to do this. I want to engage in immoral behavior. So I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to pretend that that doesn't exist. There are so-called churches in the world who pretend, they pretend, they portend themselves to be Christian churches, but they ignore the Sixth Commandment. They're like, well, yeah, but right now following the Sixth Commandment doesn't really you know, that doesn't really jive with what's popular in the world. And, and the popular media and the popular, you know, pop culture, you know, it says to me that the Sixth Commandment doesn't really count. That you can, you can do whatever, you can fornicate with anyone and everyone and anything that you want to, and it's okay. And it's okay. Is that part of the, is that the rules? Or is that man deciding that he's going to ignore the rules? The seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Man, is that a simple one? We should fear and love God that we may not take our neighbor's money or goods, nor get them by false wear or dealing. That means through fraud, through lies, through deception. Not just busting into someone's house and taking their TV, but if you gain money or gifts through fraud and through deception, that is stealing. But instead, we are to help our neighbors to improve and protect their property and their business. Imagine that. 
wow, the seventh commandment, not only does it say thou not thou shalt not steal, but what Luther says is not only should you not take your neighbor's property through theft or violence or deception or lies, but you should actually do the opposite. You should help your neighbor to improve and protect their property and their business. Wow. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Wow. What does that mean? Well, we should love and fear God that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, nor defame our neighbor, but instead to defend him, speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. I think people who are living in our nation's capital need to, uh, they need to get a little bit of the Eighth Commandment. How many people who claim to be our quote-unquote leaders in our state capitals and our nation's capitals apparently have never acquainted themselves with the Eighth Commandment, that thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That means everyone, even your political opponents. You're not allowed, under well, under the commandments, under the foundation, to lie, to deceive. All right, uh, number nine, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Super simple. We should fear and love God that we may not craftily seek to get our neighbor's inheritance or house, nor obtain it by show of right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. And commandment 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. We should fear and love God that we may not estrange, force, or entice away our neighbor's wife, servants, or cattle, or urge, but instead urge them to stay and do their duty. Now, the covetousness, you say, well, okay, Paul, I, I mean, I get that, but I don't covet my neighbor's, I don't covet my neighbor's wife or husband or what have you. I don't covet my neighbor's cattle. Good, you should not covet your neighbor's cattle. Where do we see covetousness in our world today? Hmm. Hmm. Is your neighbor's money a possession of your neighbor? Is it his property? You know, yeah, obviously. Obviously, my neighbor's property is, or my neighbor's, neighbor's money is his property. How many of you live in large metropolitan areas in big cities and every time you commute back and forth to work, or maybe you're taking your kids back and forth to school or what have you, you're bombarded, you're inundated by billboards from Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, Smith, Smith, and Jones. We fight for you. Have you been injured? Injured in an ATV accident? Injured in a big, an 18-wheeler accident? Injured in a car accident? Have you been injured? You are due compensation. Sue, Sue, Sue. You say, well, what's wrong with that, Paul? I mean, sometimes people deserve money. Yeah, sometimes people do, do deserve money, but 99 times out of 100, those people that are going to Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe do not deserve money. And what they're doing is they're coveting their neighbor's money. You're like, oh, no, Paul, you're incorrect. What they're trying to do is they're just trying to sue insurance companies. 
and then by suing insurance companies, and then, then they'll get the money from them. Well, let's say that you sue your neighbor and his insurance company pays out million dollars, half million dollars, whatever. What happens to your neighbor's insurance? Either A, that insurance company says, well, that was your one good run. We are now dropping you. Now you do not, no longer have insurance from us. And your neighbor, now that he has lost, he doesn't have an insurance company, he goes to get another company and they say, oh, we know who you are. We're not going to insure you either. And then he goes to a third and a fourth, and finally he gets a fifth one. And they said, all right, we'll insure you, but you're going to have to pay five times, ten times what you were paying previously in insurance, in insurance premiums. Now, maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're suing a company. You're going you're gonna to sue a company. You're going to sue the 18-wheeler company or whatever, and you're going to get money from their insurance company. Okay? Same, same applies. Where do insurance companies get the money to pay out claims? Do, the, is, do insurance companies have a huge warehouse filled with cash that's just sitting there waiting? No. And you know that as well as I do. When insurance companies, why do you think, let's say you're a good driver, you've had one accident in the last 20 years and it wasn't even your fault, it was a, you know, whatever, fender bender in a parking lot, nobody got tickets. So why do you have to pay thousands of dollars a year in insurance when you've demonstrated that you are a good, responsible driver and yet you're still paying thousands of dollars a year in premiums? Why is that? Well, because of the tort lawyers, because of the covetousness of our society. They've got to make that money up, and where do they make it up? You, the consumer. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you think when you go to Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, and you sue the trucking company, you sue the blender manufacturer, you sue whomever, you think it's not hurting anyone, but actually it is. It is indirectly hurting your neighbor. It's hurting your community, and it's hurting your society. And what else does covetous, excuse me, covetedness, what does that foster? What does Dewey Cheatham and Howe and Smith Smith and Jones will fight for you, will sue on your behalf? What does that teach us? It teaches us to worship money, to covet money. Should we be coveting money? Should we be worshiping money? Like I said, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that a society that covets and worships money above all else is not a good society. It's not a, a faithful society. You're putting money above all else. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a quick story for you. My daughter was recently in a, in a car crash. She was in a collision. She was not at fault. The other driver was at fault. And there was enough damage to my daughter's car that it, that it had to be totaled and needed to be replaced. Now, fortunately, her car was paid off, Well, which makes it kind of worse. And, you know, you say, well, that, that's not a good story. That's a bad story. It's like when you have a paid-off car, man, that's like money. 
You can't wait to get your car paid off. Now you don't have a car payment. So she had a paid off car. Car was totally paid off. And uh, then she got into an accident. She was involved in one. It wasn't her fault. The other driver was at fault. The car was ruined. So the other driver's insurance company got her. Well, they got her a rental car. And she had to search for another vehicle. Now, the, the stinky thing is, is you, you all know, if you've ever had a paid-off vehicle, and I hope lots of you do. I mean, I do. I, there's a truck out in the driveway that's paid off, and I'm glad it's paid off. I have no payment on it, and I haven't had a payment on it for years, and it's fantastic. It's great not to have a car payment. Then you go to look for another car, and you're like, well, if I go buy another car, I go buy it on credit, I get a loan, now I got a car payment, and I'm, I'm hosed. Right. Well, the person who was at fault, you know, whose whose insurance company, uh, you know, paid for the they were going to pay for you know the the car. Of course, the car was a used car, so you know you're only going to get so much from the blue book value and yada yada. That person was able to find my daughter a new car, another car, a better car. The person who actually caused the accident was a Christian. They were apologetic, and they said that they they felt terrible about what had happened, but they would do all they could to make it right. And while that situation there, that situation, my daughter could have, she could have, you know, called up Dewey Cheatham and Howe, Smith, Smith, and Jones, on your side, we'll fight for you. She could have hired in it, and that's what most people, a lot of people in our country will do that. They get into a collision, and and they see dollar signs. They begin to covet money, and they want to ruin people's lives instead of make them better. My daughter didn't do that. Instead, she worked with, well, the insurance adjuster, and she actually worked with the person who had caused the accident And they found her a car, and she was able to pay for that car. And now she's actually in a better car than the one she had before the accident, and it is still paid off. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the favor of God. Now, when you covet other people's property, when you lie, when you deceive, you may gain in the short term, but you're not going to gain in the long run. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that this time in our world is, is, well, it's difficult for us. And we feel like we're being attacked on all sides. We're being given information. We're being commanded. We're being told by mayors and governors and county commissioners and county health officials and even presidents and congressmen. We're being told by the media this and that and the other thing. And we feel like we're constantly at war, like we're constantly under attack that our faith is under attack. And we don't know what, you say, well, where, where should I go? These, these people who are my friends or even my family, they tell me, just do what you're told. Be quiet. Pick your battles. I love it when people t- say, pick your battles, but th- what they're saying is, don't fight back. Too often when people say, oh, you got to know when to pick your battles, what they're saying is, don't fight back. Just take it. Ladies and gentlemen, 
during these times when you feel like you're being bombarded from all sides, we need to return to the rock. We need to return to our foundation. As Americans, if you're if you're listening overseas, that's fantastic. You have a Bible, I hope. You have the Ten Commandments right there. I hope you're a person of faith. As a person who is a United States citizen, we have ten inalienable rights that are codified in the supreme law of the land, the Bill of Rights. Is it a coincidence that our founders, who were faithful men, saw the Ten Commandments and also instituted ten inalienable rights into the U.S. Constitution? I don't think it's a con. I don't think it is. I think that this nation was blessed by God from the very beginning. He gave us the opportunity to do good things in this world. Ladies and gentlemen, return to the rock. Go back to the foundation. When you feel confused, when you feel frustrated, when you feel like you don't know where to turn, what you need to do is you need to turn and you need to go right back to Exodus 21 through 22. You need to examine those commandments and say, okay, this person or these people are telling me to do this, but God is telling me to do that. Who is our trump card? Who is our rock? Who is our foundation? Jesus Christ and his Father. All right? So return to the foundation, and you'll be better off for it. I'm going to close today with the warrior's prayer. As members of the Legion of Michael, we need to understand that there is evil in our world, that we cannot ignore evil. Evil that is ignored only grows stronger. Lord, I come before you seeking the strength and the skill to overcome my enemies. Grant me, I pray, the wisdom to recognize evil, the courage to confront it, and the strength to destroy it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with another episode very soon. Until then, have a blessed day, a blessed week, a blessed life. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.